Last September, uh, the 9th of September 2019, uh, Mr. Pickens, T. Boone Pickens, passed away. He had an extremely negative reputation as a raider of the 80s. But the question I would like to discuss with you is, uh, was it about negative raid or was it about value creation? Let's go back to this period, which was very interesting, the period of the 80s. Deregulation, free markets, the emergence of the market for corporate control, which basically means that now capital markets have the possibility to evaluate bad management. The money is available so that we can take the control of these companies. We can get rid of bad management. We can replace bad management, bad strategy, bad good management, good strategy, and we can create value for the shareholders. Of course, at that time, there were plenty of hostile takeovers and huge controversy against these hostile takeovers, does it create, does it destroy value? New actors emerge at that time. Investment funds such as Colbert, Kravis, Roberts, uh, uh, which acquired Beatrice Foods, RJR Nabisco. RJR Nabisco was the largest uh, LBO with uh, $25 billion of acquisition, $1 billion of equity, and $24 billion of debt. You imagine the leverage. There were also new instruments and new markets leveraged by out, which I mentioned, and high-yield debt. The high-yield bonds, they existed before, but they were quite small and marginal. Now they are absolutely fundamental in the financing of companies, especially for hostile takeovers, and they are named junk bonds. Why this period? Well, because in the 70s, there was a creation of giants, you know, ITT, Tyco, etc., large companies which uh, existed because uh, of the ego of the CEO more than uh, in the, with the aim of uh, value creation. So they were very much value destroying and it was high time to clean a little bit the house. This is why the 80s uh, cancelled a little bit of bad decisions and conglomerates which had been created in the 70s. On the internet, you can find a picture of T-Bone Pickens had a young boy, a young kid, dressed like a cowboy. Now, when you're a cowboy, you have a gun and you have the gun on the hip. And what's interesting is with his uh, right hand, he had the hand on the gun and uh, he will demonstrate that um, even if he looks uh, very cute on the picture, he's able to do something with a gun. Tibon Pickens was born in 1928 um, and he had a degree in geology. Geology is good if you want to get into the oil and gas and natural resources and energy business. In 1956, he created a company which was named Mesa Petroleum. In 1981, he took over Yugoton, which was 30 times as big as Mesa. So the small fish is buying the big fish. In 1982, he tried to take over a city service and it was named a pac Man strategy. I don't know if you remember this Pac-Man video game uh, a few decades ago. Uh, everybody tries to eat everybody. So a Pac-Man strategy means that A wants to buy B, so A launches a hostile takeover on B, and B tries to buy A. So when A has shares of B and B holds shares of A, when you have a general assembly, a shareholders meeting, you don't know who is the owner of who. At the end of the day, the acquisition of city service was a failure, and Occidental 
Total Petroleum bought the company, but uh, Pickens made quite a lot of money, which was reinvested in a green mill on Gulf Oil in 1983-84. What does it mean a green mill? Green is the color of the US dollar and mail is the end of black mail. So it's a black mail with dollar. So you identify a company which is totally under-evaluated, under-priced by the market. You buy the shares more or less discreetly, sometimes with friends, quotes. And then you declare that the value of the company is much more than the price you paid. You convince the market that you are right. Somebody is going to make a counter-offer. And what's going to happen? You're going to sell with a nice profit. Pickens purchased Gulf Oil stocks at about $40. With his friends, he held about 13% of Gulf Oil shares. Then it demonstrated, I insist on the fact that it demonstrated financially that the value was above uh, $100 per share. And then he proposed $65 to buy the rest of the shares. Then as the market was convinced that the value was 100 plus, somebody made a counteroffer, Standard Oil of California. You remember uh, Rockefeller was the founder of Standard Oil, which was uh, dismantled in Standard Oil of California, of Ohio, of New Jersey. And Standard Oil of California proposed $80 per share. Then Pickens and Friends, they had bought at 40. Standard Oil of California is proposing 80 80, and Pickens says, I want her to buy the company, but if they propose 80, I sell my shares. How much did they made, Pickens and friends? Well, about $760 million, which is not that bad for a green male. What happened to SoCal? Donald of California merged with Gulf Oil. It became Chevron. And later on, Chevron bought Texaco. And later on, Chevron Texaco bought Unocal. And at the end of the day, it's Chevron. And if you look at the revenues today, it's what, about $160 billion with $15 billion of net earnings. So Chevron is doing quite well. Now let's go back to Pickens. What happened to Pickens? Well, basically, it's no more a boy, a kid with a gun on the hip. Uh, now the picture of Pickens is in the cover page of Time magazine with a title, which is a takeover game. And in his right hand, he holds five cards for poker game. In his left hand, he has a token. So he's playing poker and he's successfully playing poker. Now, uh, let's go back to the economics of the deal. How was Pickens able to convince the capital market that the value of the firm was more than 100? Basically, at that time, the oil prices were in a range of 30 to 35 dollars per barrel. But what is the cost of renewing the reserve? You understand that when you extract oil, you take from your reserves, but you have to pay to renew the reserves. And the cost of renewing the reserves were about 10 to 12 US dollars. Now, what happens in 1983? The revenues generated by Gulf Oil are about 6.5 billion US dollars, which represents a production an extraction of 290 million barrels. Which kind of profit do you generate out of that? You can calculate the EBITDA. You remember that this profit is a cash operating profit before interest, before taxes, and before depreciation and amortization. If you calculate the EBITDA, before exploration expense, before the, the amount of money you have to invest in the renewal of your exploration, it's about $4.4 billion. So $4.4 billion represents something like 67% to sales or $15 per barrel. Now, if you multiply $15 per barrel by the oil reserves of Gulf Oil, which represent about $2.7 billion, 
billion barrels, you get $40 billion. So you have $40 billion of EBITDA underground. But it's underground. It's not in the balance sheet. What do you have in the balance sheet? What do you read in the balance sheet? You read costs. You read purchasing prices when you buy. You don't read any value. Of course, if you calculate the value of these reserves, it's not 40 billion because you have to discount the cash flows. It's going to be delayed in the future. You have to get rid of taxes, etc. But um, forget about the calculation. If you look at the 40 billion and you transform that into discounted cash flows and you divide by the number of shares outstanding, you get the value per share of 105. Now, the market capitalization of the company is $40 per share. The company is worth $105, the company reserves, of course. And the stock market value of Gulf Oil is $40 multiplied by 165 million shares, which is slightly above $6 billion, $6.2 billion. The value of the company is much less on the capital markets. That's simply the value of its reserves. So what's going to be uh, announced by Pickens? I am going to buy a company for $6.2 billion. The value of the company is 2.5 times as much because you have not seen the value of the reserves. So I'm going to put the reserves in a special royalty fund in order to save taxes and so on and so forth. But the value of the reserve is much more than what you can read on the market. This is why I'm going to make a kind of free lunch. Of course, if I stop exploration and if I split all the assets of the companies, I dismantle the company, I will kill the company in eight years or so. But it's a bit of a cynical point of view. He is an extreme extremely cynical person, but on a financial point of view, is unfortunately quite right. So you understand that the gun on the hip of the kid is now fighting. If you look at the financial performance and if you look at evaluation methods, you have a few comments which are quite interesting in my opinion. I gave you a figure which is a bit DA, pre-exploration expenses, and it was $4.4 billion. Now, if you want to calculate the operating income, the operating profit, the EBIT, you have to deduct the exploration expenses and the depreciation and amortization, which are respectively 0.6 billion and 1 billion. Now, the EBIT, the operating income is 4.4, less 0.6, less 1, which is 2.8 billion. Now, you can calculate the return on sales, the commercial profitability of the company. It is 2.8 divided by, by revenues, 6.5, and you have a 42% return on sales. This is great, but it's not return on capital. And what is financial performance? Financial performance consists in generating a return from your business operation, from your industrial activity, which is more than the cost of financing this industrial activity. Then it's not the return on sales, which you have to calculate. It's the return on capital. Now you generate revenues of 6.5. But in order to generate these revenues, the company had to invest 13 billion. So the assets turnover of the company, which is calculated dividing revenues by invested capital, is 6.5 divided by 13, which is 0.5. So it means that you have to invest $2 in invested capital in order to generate only $1 in revenue. To calculate the return on capital, you can divide 2.8 by 13. You directly calculate the return capital, or you can multiply the return on sales, how much money you make when you sell, by how many times per year you sell, you generate revenues equivalent to invested capital. 42% multiplied by 0.5 is 21%. 
2.8 divided by 13 is also 21%. Of course, you get to the same figure. But now the return capital is before tax, and the cost of capital, the cost of financing is after tax. Then you have to get rid of taxes. Tax rate, 50%, 21%, becomes 10.5% after tax for the return capital employed. What is the cost of capital? Well, at that time, the long-term bond rates, the treasury bonds issued by the American government were at a rate of more than 10%. So as bankers and shareholders expect more than 10 because it's riskier to invest in bonds or in shares, what's going to happen? The weighted average cost of capital is going to be way beyond 10%. And then it's going to be 14.5%. So the economic profit, which consists in subtracting the cost of capital from from the return on capital is going to be negative. 10.5% minus 14.5% is minus 4%. It means that you have promised 14.5% to your investors, shareholders, and bankers pro rata their respective investment in the company. And in fact, their funds were invested at 10.5%. So there are 4% which are missing in the promise. The economic profit is negative, not because the company is destroying value, but because the company has just simply massively invested and reinvested in the renewal of the reserves. What has been accomplished by Gulf Oil in the early 80s is massively investing. But what is characterizing an investment? It is a time lag between the moment you spend the money and the moment you earn. And so the company has invested and not yet earned. So in the calculation of the Rose, you have the investment at the denominator's level and it is 13 billion, but you have not yet started extracting, producing and generating revenue. So you understand that the Rose is an indicator which basically is underestimating the actual financial performance of the company because the investment have not yet shown their profit. But the market is paying profits. So at the end of the day, what happens? You generate a Rose which is less than the work. The market is concluding you're not performing. Your company is generating a negative financial performance. As a consequence, the company is worth less than what was invested by shareholders and bankers. The book equity, the equity which you read in the balance sheet is about $10 billion. The market value is six point something. There is a bad will of almost $4 billion. Why a bad will? Because of negative performance. This is consistent even though it's not exactly true on a financial point of view. After the performance evaluation, I would like to discuss with you about valuation. How do you evaluate a company? Well, you discount free cash flows at the weighted average cost of capital. Well, we already have discussed the weighted average cost of capital of 14.5%. It's a high figure, which means that the cash flows which are actually contributing to the value are the first cash flows, not the delayed cash flows. But how do you calculate the free cash flow? The free cash flow is basically how much cash you earn, less how much cash you reinvest. So it's EBITDA, again, less capital expenditures, plus minus a few things such as a delta working capital requirement and taxes. EBITDA is big. You remember the percentage of revenue is absolutely outstanding. But capital expenditures are also very high. And this is why you have a high capital employed figure. Now, you can calculate a kind of terminal value with infinite life. And you have a nice formula with free cash flows multiplied by 1 plus the growth divided by the difference between the cost of capital and the growth. But Pickens is not going to calculate any terminal value with any infinite life. 
Now, Pickens is not going to envisage any infinite life and terminal value. He's going to say, if I stop exploration expenses, exploration investment, if I stop industrial investment, plus a little bit of optimization of the cash flow, I'm going to generate a value which is much more than the price I'm currently paying for the stocks. So you understand that in the valuation process, you consider infinite life. In what was observed by Pickens, you have a life which is far from being infinite. You have eight years of life. This was regarded as shocking by people. And there were a few senators who said, we want to have a bill against takeovers. But at that time, the president of the United States was Ronald Reagan. And Ronald Reagan said, I am going to exercise my veto right if you propose a bill against hostile takeovers. So it's about free world, free trade, free market. Now, a few comments about what happened. Of course, the WAC is high at that time because of inflation. And today it's a different story because inflation is extremely low and the cost of capital of the companies are less, much less than the 14.5 you could observe at that time. So that's no more relevant. But there are a few things which are still quite relevant. A balance sheet is still a cost. Now, when you look at the balance sheet, you observe tangible and intangible long-term assets, non-current assets. What about tangible? It's about property, plant and equipment. It is a cost. It's not a value. But when you observe the tangible assets, you observe 100% of the costs. If you look at intangible value, intangible fixed assets are not that visible in the balance sheet. By the way, in the balance sheet of Gulfoil, there was $1.2 billion of intangibles when you had an EBDA of $40 billion underground. So definitely the value was not visible, far from that in the balance sheet. It's difficult to account for intangibles. You have a little bit of capitalized R&D expenses in the balance sheet uh, under some circumstances, and you have to explain that to your auditors. But you have nothing, for example, you have nothing on human capital. You have absolutely no human capital cost in the balance sheet, and it's quite normal because you are not supposed to own people, so you don't own human capital. But this is a value of the firm. So you have much of the value which is not in the balance sheet. That's why sometimes you can observe, identify a kind of free lunch, which is there is much value which nobody has seen observing or looking at the balance sheet and calculating any key performance indicators. There is something which is also relevant today, is that money is available. There is a lot of money which is available to make investments, sometimes to over-evaluate, to overprice companies. But it's about human capital, it's about intangible assets or any R&D and technology. Money is still available. Now, is it about value creation or value destruction? Certainly for the Gulf Oil employees, it's a very cynical value destruction because when Gulf Oil merged with Standard of California, what was at stake was to repay the $13.5 billion of acquisition cost. And at the end of the day, there were many layoffs. And for the employees, it's terrible and very cynical, again, value destruction. For the shareholder of Gulf Oil, it's value creation. Because those people who held stocks whose value stock price was for 
they sold their stocks at $80. And Pickens usually said, well, when I make a conference and uh, somebody wants to kiss me at the end of the conference, I know that this person is a former minority shareholder of Gulf Oil. And those people say, ah, you double my wealth. Thank you very much. That's the way it works. So Pickens was a little bit ironic in this kind of uh, statement. But there is, ironically, at least one accounting consequence of what Pickens did. When you read the annual report of a North American company in the oil and gas industry, what do you read now? Or you read some reports about the reserves. Years ago, the reserves were barrels. And today, the reserves are barrels in the annual report and discounted cash flows. So what is the value of my reserves if I decide to extract and sell at a selling price? Now you have the free cash flow and then these free cash flows are discounted at the cost of capital, which is 5, 6, 7, 8 or 10%. So basically, what do you read in the annual report of oil and gas companies in North America? You read the kind of, between quotes, Pickens valuation of their reverse. So Pickens had a major influence in accounting statements for oil and gas companies. 